Welcome to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. Glad to be with you today. Thank you so much for being in our service today. We're, uh, we're talking about the fourth practice that changes everything in a person's life. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2 today. We're going to talk about generous giving. You know, at some point, when you begin to talk about generosity or generous giving, it becomes part of the conversation to say, this is what's changed my life or it's changed someone else's life or some situation that we're aware of. Generous giving does that. And Acts chapter 2 is the opening of the New Testament church, opening days. Uh, they were practicing some amazing kinds of habits that were allowing them to grow in faith and knowledge of Christ. And part of that was generosity. Woven throughout the pages of the book of Acts, you have generosity. Let's stand together for just a few moments as we read this passage. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 47. This is after Pentecost, after Peter preached this great message at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has fallen on all these individuals. Many have come to faith in Christ. In fact, verse 41 says about 3,000 souls were added on that day of Pentecost. So this is kind of the, the pinnacle of the opening chapter of the New Testament church. And then it begins to talk about what they began to do immediately on the other side of this great moment of Pentecost. It says in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I just love this text. I love reading about the New Testament church. And I love reading about the zeal and the passion and enthusiasm that are coming out of these opening moments. And I so pray that we can grasp how the Spirit was moving then and how he wants to move now. Father, in Jesus' name, show us by the power of your Holy Spirit all we need to know about this text and our lives and how they intersect. Today, allow us to be like those people, generous followers of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please be seated if you would. Well, generosity is a pretty big deal and uh, I wanted to find it as we walk through this because you see this all through the church. And by the way, uh, as I start this message, I want you to know that I believe that we are in a, a very, very generous church. You need to know today I'm not preaching this message out of a sense of need. We don't have any particular need right now that I could say, oh, we need you to be generous about this or about that. That's not why this message is happening today. And we're not saying this because we think there's some failure in giving in some part in our church. If anything, we look back and say, God, what an incredible blessing the, the generosity of this church has been. He's done so many things, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments. And uh, we'll take some time just to thank God for how he's provided. 
And in the middle of this message, I'm also going to give you a very important announcement that has a great deal to do with the generosity of God towards his people. And so you want to make note of what I say in just a few moments. I don't think you're going to be able to miss it, but nonetheless, I want to warn you. So as we walk through this series that we're in, we've named four things that are key practices that change everything in your life. We began four weeks ago with the, the, uh, the principle of corporate worship. Worshiping God individually and worshiping God corporately was the mainstay of the New Testament church. It's why they gathered together to encourage one another and to edify and glorify God. It's a reset of everything that we do in the course of a week where we are reminded on the first day of the week that the priority of our lives is to follow Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor. And when we gather, I hope that you open up your heart and are reminded that we live for him. Everything is about him. Corporate worship. Secondly, we, we looked the second week about connecting with other people. The importance of what fellowship with one another really is. How we sharpen one another. Iron sharpens iron, we said. And we see how the New Testament church was filled with believers that were challenging one another and encouraging one another and praying for one another in a huge, huge way. And in a world that, that doesn't really know where it fits, the church of Jesus Christ is where every believer fits. If you ever wonder where are your people and you're a believer in Christ, the church is your people and that's who you need to turn to and the church needs to be a great advocate for your spiritual walk. So that's the second habit. The third habit is serving. Those who follow Christ and all he did know that his life was about not being served but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. And he, he led his disciples to serve. Servanthood is so incredibly important. And now this fourth practice, this fourth habit that changes everything is giving. I can't imagine my life without these four things being a constant, a constant practice in my life in various forms. Worshiping him, connecting with other people, being able to serve somewhere in the body of Christ for his glory and giving faithfully and even generously as he leads. All those things are key pieces of my spiritual growth and they'll be key pieces of your spiritual growth as well. Let me define generosity as we walk through this message. Generosity is the quality of being kind and selfless in sharing money or valuable valuables with others. It's often attributed to God and his loving, sharing, kind nature. John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, talks about how giving God is. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sets the bar high. He gives generously. He's a giving God. And when we talk about generosity, we need to talk about reflecting the character of God in our financial practices and in our giving and in our generosity. So the New Testament church, this text here, talks about the, the kickoff, the opening quarter, if you will, of the New Testament church and the regular practices that they settled into. You can see them in verse 42. When you look at verse 42, you'll see the corporate worship, that is, they gathered together. You saw them connecting with each other. There was community taking place. The Bible talks about how they were encouraging one another and praying for one another. All those things that, that I talked about a moment ago, those are found in verse 42 and also generosity. Generosity is not an afterthought. It's something that comes out of the health that was happening in the New Testament church. So let's see three things about generosity in this text today. First of all, generosity is built upon spiritual health. 
spiritually healthy people learn to practice generosity above and beyond all other kinds of giving. It says in verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. They were seeing God answer prayer. They were seeing the fellowship of the believers taking place. They were worshiping the resurrected and living Lord Jesus Christ. All those things describe a spiritually healthy environment. That's where they were. They were practicing spiritual health. They were being reminded of why the church gathered. By the way, the church of Jesus Christ, or Christianity as some call it, it's not a religion. It's a group of people following a living Lord, Jesus Christ. Some people want to make it out to be a religion, but that's not what you see recorded in, this, in these pages. They, didn't, they did not get together and say, we need to start a religion. We need to organize it. We need to make sure that everybody knows our rules and laws and all those things, and we're just going to build monuments to somebody or even to ourselves, and we're going to call it a religious system of some kind. Hey, let's pack Christ's name on it. That's not how the church began. The church began with a group of people that were so enamored in following Christ, so in love with him because of his obvious love for them that they met together to refresh and renew and remember all that he had done for them. That's what was happening. Very natural, very grassroots, very normal for the New Testament church. And so that's what was happening. And all that they'd seen happen was fueling this eventual act of generosity that you see in these pages. They watched Jesus live. They'd watched him minister. They'd watched him die. They'd watched him rise again. They'd watched the promise of the Holy Spirit be fulfilled. And he came down upon them and within them at Pentecost. So now they're growing. They're walking with Christ. They're praying. They're experiencing the life that Jesus called them to on a whole different level. In fact, it says in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus is speaking to the disciples saying, I must go away. And when I go away, greater things than these you shall see because I go to be with the Father. And you'll have the presence of the Holy Spirit you will, in multiple forms, have many people who are, are seeking to do what I was doing on this planet, and you'll see greater things when I'm gone to be with the Father, greater in terms of magnitude or scope. And everything that Jesus said was coming to pass in this New Testament church, and it was amazing. And one of the lessons they were learning was the lesson of generosity. It's not the only lesson, but it was a big one. Now, what we're talking about in Acts chapter 2 is not tithing. Tithing is in a different portion of the Scripture, and we won't speak a lot about tithing today other than to say that many of these were Jewish believers who had already committed to that kind of giving uh, in their Jewish worship of God, Jehovah, to God. And in their worship of Him, tithing was a part of what they do. It's evident there was already established a practice in those Jewish believers and, and even more so in their dedication to Christ. The teaching of Jesus, as you read the Bible, affirms the tithe, tithe. It does not uh, remove the tithe. Jesus came to fulfill the law, but he also came to help us know how to live life in every way. Um, we, all, we all, as we read the Scriptures, understand that the Bible says that the tithe belongs to the Lord. When I, when I receive a paycheck, the first thing I remember is what I was taught and what I read in the Bible, that the first tenth belongs to the Lord. It's a lot easier to learn that when you're little, by the way. One of my stories is my dad gave me ten dimes. I got a dollar a week for allowance, by the way. 
A dollar a week for allowance. That doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot in a five-and-dime store where you sell candy and buy it for a penny apiece. Anybody remember a five-and-dime story? Anybody remember penny candy? You could get sick on that stuff for a dollar. You know, you could do that really easy. And I can remember he gave me my allowance in dimes, and I used to wonder about that. Quarters were bigger. They were shinier. A silver dollar would be even better. But he gave me the dimes, and I, I learned later on the reason he gave me the dimes is so I could easily take a dime and give it to the Lord. And I remember putting a dime in the offering plate or in my envelope. We were Baptists, so we did it with envelopes. Put it in the envelope. Uh, every week when I was like six, seven, eight years old, it became a practice. And as I grew older in life, I realized it was a spiritual practice. It was a wise practice. And I learned God provided for me in ways that I had no idea he would do. When I was worried about that dime, I didn't need to be worried about it. The tithe belongs to the Lord. As he provides for us, then we return the tithe to him. Now, you see the phrase there where it talks about the apostles' teaching. That's part of what they were talking about as they met together. And what, what this is, is that the apostles were refreshing and rehearsing to all that were there what Jesus had taught them. The scrolls with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels had not been all penned yet. They were not all together yet. So these apostles were teaching them what Jesus had taught them. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, uh, where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes. And I want you to notice what he says because he rebukes them for their heart but also commends them for their giving. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and common. These are, are small herbs that are part of what they gave as a result of uh, all that they'd grown in their garden or all that they had. You tithe mint and dill and common and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, Jesus is not saying, oh, you shouldn't even think about the tithe. He was saying, you should think about your hearts as you give a tithe. Now, Jesus gave us some good indications that the New Testament church was to practice this idea of tithing, and we, we, we teach that here at our church. Uh, all of our deacons commit to that. Our teachers are to commit to that. Our staff obviously commit to that. We just believe God blesses that in huge, huge ways. But that's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about something above and beyond that. It is generosity, and generosity is going beyond the tithe. Generosity is, is something that God moves in our heart to do when a need is presented or we're made aware of, or even if we don't know why, but God lays on our heart to do a certain thing, to give a certain thing. Generosity happens as a result of obedience to that. And the reason I want to mention tithes to you today is because we won't experience generosity if we haven't learned to give regularly in the first place. There's something about that regular giving that lets me trust God enough that when he leads me to do something above and beyond, I'm able to do it because I'm already in the practice of giving. And I'm, I'm aware there are people today that haven't yet learned to trust God with their finances, enough to tithe, and I get that. There's a process sometimes with people, but it's such a great lesson to learn. It's such an amazing thing that God does in providing for us and getting us to trust him in that way. So all this to say, these people were walking in spiritual health. They were worshiping together. They were, they were fellowshipping. They were understanding the word, the teachings of Jesus. And then there is another thing that God began to unfold with them in the way of generosity. 
And that's where I want you to see this second piece that's in Acts chapter 2. Generosity flows out of obedience. Notice what it says in verse 45. And all those who had believed worked together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now, let me be clear about this text right here because so many have taken this text and said a variety of things about it that, that are not true. What was taking place was a series of acts of obedience to the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. They're amazed by his presence, his power, and they're amazed by the fact that when they're all gathered together, they sense his presence. And what's, what's happening is he's leading them to do these things, and they're even selling property and everything else they're led to do. What I want you to also see is that this was not a system of coercion or shame. It's not done out of a sense of privilege or to even the, even the levels of what people had or didn't have. It wasn't communism. It wasn't communal living. All those things I've heard point into this text as that's the verification for why we should be communists or have communal living. Let me just say, it's saying none of those things. But it is saying that when the Holy Spirit led them to sacrificial giving, that they were following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you jump down to Acts chapter 4, two chapters later, there's a further description here. It says, All who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So again, these, these gifts were free acts of obedience under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He was leading them uh, in giving, leading them in generosity, leading, leading them in loving and, and, and encouraging them to trust him with all this. And they were giving these extravagant gifts so that the apostles could distribute those in whatever way was necessary. Now, if you're really bold and you're really courageous and you want to read how serious God takes giving, go to Acts chapter 5. Anybody know what Acts 5 talks about? Two people named Ananias and Sapphira who were not going to end well when it comes to their giving. And the whole of Acts chapter 5 reminds us that God takes giving very seriously. But I want you to see something here in Acts chapter 5. When uh, Peter confronted Ananias and Sapphira, because what was happening was they said they were going to sell their property and they were going to give it all to God, and they didn't give it all to God, and they lied. Peter said, why'd you lie to the Holy Spirit and to others? But there's a line in here that I want you to see. Peter said, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Peter said, look, this is something you've chosen to do and lie about it. You had the freedom to act in obedience to the Lord or not in obedience to the Lord, but it's not going to end well for you because you decided to lie to the Holy Spirit and to others. Now, I'll just say you have to be courageous to read Acts chapter 5. It doesn't end well, and, uh, and it tells us that God takes giving very seriously and that we ought to listen to him well and obey him when he leads us. You say, well, how do I navigate all that? Here, here's a simple way, simple formula. Just obey God and leave the rest to him. Somebody say those three words with me. Just obey God. Say it with me. Just obey God. And how do you do anything else he leads you to do? Just obey God and leave the rest up to him. He leads you to witness to somebody that you're a little bit afraid to witness to. Just obey God and, 
Leave the rest up to him. He's leading you to prayer for somebody else because you don't know what's going on in their life and you feel a burden for them. How do you respond to that, that pressure? Just obey God and leave the rest up to him. It's true of every aspect of the Christian life. If he's alive, if he's real, if the Holy Spirit is inside of us, we can trust him by just obeying God and leaving the rest up to him. So these gifts in Acts 2 and Acts 4 were free acts of obedience. They were listening to the Lord. They were following his leadership, and incredible things began to happen. Generosity takes place, and it's powerful. I have to say, sometimes generosity is not always a financial gift. It's not always uh, a sacrificial gift. Sometimes it's extremely generous to give yourself to something that, that needs to take place, but you're doing it as a sacrifice to yourself. I'm going to tell you about two acts of obedience that happened to me more than 25 years ago now. But these two acts of obedience are two acts that I think demonstrate the generosity of God and how he orchestrates all this. More than 25 years ago, I was a pastor, and my wife and I were called to come to another church. And as we were called to go to that church, the church let us know their financial condition, and it was disastrous. It was bad. In fact, when we asked them for the salary, it took them a long time for them to come up with a salary, and the salary was much less than what I was making at my previous church. Uh, by then, we'd figured out how to have kids, and we had almost six kids by then. When you figure out how to have a lot of kids, then you also need to figure out how to make enough income to, to feed those kids, right? But the, 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 offering was very, the, uh, the offer that they gave me was very low, and uh, I talked to them a little bit about, about that because I really genuinely felt God was leading us to take that role. And so we took the role, and uh, we accepted that salary. And uh, they told us, you know, when, when, when we become debt-free, when we remove all this big debt, then we'll adjust the salary. We'll be more generous with that. And I said, that's fine. We'll trust the Lord with that. So for the next few years, we trusted the Lord with that. Wasn't easy. Wasn't, wasn't something that just happened uh, like that. Uh, I was actually uh, had a couple of side streams of income. Back then, we just called them part-time jobs, but they're side streams now, right? It's a better way to say it. I did everything I needed to do in order to provide for my family during that time. One day, I got a phone call from somebody I didn't know. I'd never met them before. They, uh, they didn't know our situation. They didn't know anything about our church. And uh, this person says, I'm going to deliver an envelope to you, and uh, I need you just to receive it. And I was curious, of course, couldn't wait to get that envelope, couldn't wait to open it up, had no idea what it was. Um, and when I got that envelope and opened it up, it was two full years of salary that that church had been paying me, two full years of salary. I didn't meet that person until later, a couple of years, about a year down the road, I met that person and, and thanked them and told them a little bit of the story. And, uh, and this person said, listen, I just want you to know I had more joy in giving you that than you can possibly imagine. And I said back to this person, oh, you can't imagine how much joy I had in receiving that. <laughs> and in that story, two acts of obedience, obeying what God tells you to do and trusting that God will provide through the obedience of maybe somebody else who's just doing what he told them to do. You say, well, how do you, how do you organize all that? And the answer is you don't. The God who speaks the existence into existence, the, organ, the, the whole universe into existence, the God who knows how molecular structure works, who knows how to put all the stars in the universe, that God can so coordinate, so control, he can so organize things that he meets your need, but you just need to be obedient to him. 
whether it's an act of service or an act of giving, just do it and trust God with the rest. That was happening in this New Testament church. And all kinds of people were giving up all kinds of, of property in order to demonstrate that their trust in God was secure and that God was able to meet those amazing needs. And joy surrounds that kind of generosity. If you jump over to 2 Corinthians, there's a great passage there in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, where Paul now is writing to the church at Corinth, and he said this, he said, Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. And then he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what he wants you to experience, by the way. God doesn't need your money, but he wants you to be involved in how he provides for needs all around. And generosity helps move you into that place of watching him provide and the joy that comes with it. Now, if you keep reading Acts chapter 2, you're going to find that generosity expands ministry. It's really obvious. The last part of this verse or passage says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. All these things, the spiritual health I'm talking about, this corporate worship, this connecting with others, this being able to rehearse what the words of Jesus really were about, praying for one another, having community together, all these things along with generosity allowed the ministry to thrive and to reach out to others. And then by the time you get to Acts chapter 6 and a large number of Widows who needed attention, who needed daily food. I mean, you're pretty desperate in a culture when you need the daily serving of food and the church was providing that, then that was all happening as that generosity was unfolding. So the church followed that pattern, met needs around them. And in verse 7 of Acts chapter 6, it said, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, that is, the Jewish priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Generosity expands ministry. It's really amazing. Now, before you came in today, you may have received a card. And if you didn't, you can certainly get one on the way out. But it looks something like this right here. You have that? If you have that, I want you to look at it with me for a moment. Now, many of you have already maybe read what's on the other side of that. If you don't have it, you can get one on the way out. But I'm going to talk about that for just a few moments because what I want you to see is how the generosity of God working through this church over the last 20 or more years has increased the way ministry happens to countless thousands and ten thousands of lives. So I'm going to read on the back side of this. Over the past generation, you've led the way. I'm saying you, Cross City Church. We said this in our earlier service. We've said it at North. We're saying it everywhere. You have led the way in these ways. You retired the church debt. Through your generosity, we retired over $6 million of debt in 2007, and we remain debt-free until this day. Folks, we just completed a $25 million renovation project debt-free, and I think you ought to celebrate a little bit about that. I do. I celebrate that. Generosity helps make that happen. We helped launch Kids Beach Club. Kids Beach Club and their ministry in public schools has distributed 75,000 Bibles, presented the gospel 116,310 times, led 10,000 kids to Christ, and 155,000 kids listened to the gospel weekly through KBC TV. And you helped launch Kids Beach Club. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've... Uh, 
If you're familiar with Six Stones, but Six Stones was started in 2009. It served over 59,000 people in food, in regular food, led 4,800 people to Jesus in our community. We've rebuilt almost 1,000 homes with Six Stones. I just could go on and on about that ministry, but do you realize it was launched in this room with a group of people like yourself? Many of you were in that room that day, and, uh, and you stood up and said, yes. We'll be generous for the cause of our community to make a difference for the cause of Christ. And it's, it's still making a difference. Amen to you for that. Give the Lord a hand for that as well. <laughs> Nothing wrong with clapping. We launched and invested Mid-City Women's Center. 38,784 babies have been saved. The gospel shared 46,000 times. 3,266 people have made professions of faith in 40 years of this church supporting that. One more time, give a hand to the Lord. Wow, what a powerful thing. And then as I already shared you, you gave more than 14, 14 million, I guess I need to say more zeros to that, 14 million to this renovation here of our, of our buildings. We, we watched the Lord provide for us in just unpredictable ways. We sold a piece of property across the street. We bought for $1 million. We, we sold it for $9.5 million. And God provided for us to prepare for the next generation. He's done so well. Part of what I want to share with you today, the announcement I want to share with you today, has to do with generosity. Our North Campus that we launched five years ago has been working for five years. They've been in five different locations, by the way. Five different locations. A pandemic shut down the school they were in, then they went to a, a hotel, then they went to a health club, then they went uh, back to a school, and then finally to another school. Five different times they've moved in five years. And I, I celebrated five years with them out there this morning at 10 o'clock service. And uh, it's a great thing to watch those folks out there in the north part of Tarrant County doing everything they can to get the gospel out to folks there. But an act of generosity about a year ago, a year and a half ago now, gave them $2 million to look for land. So we've been looking. One day, Kent Wells, the campus pastor, and I were uh, in, in our car, in my car, I think. And we were on the piece of property. We actually drove onto the piece of property that we're praying about. And, and uh, ultimately, the owner didn't want to sell that piece of property, but we were sitting there, and uh, we knew we had $2 million that had been given. We knew that it was going to take a little bit more than that, but we also knew that that's the piece that we really were praying about. And uh, while we were seated there, um, I said, let's make a phone call. We made a phone call to a friend of both of ours, a member of our church, and I uh, said, we're on a piece of property that, that we hope will someday be the piece that we build on. But whether it's this property or anything else, uh, you've asked if you could uh, be kept up to speed on where we're at. This is where we're at. And as I said, ultimately, we didn't uh, get that piece of property. And that gentleman said, okay, thanks for letting me know, and I'll be in prayer about it. Well, just last week, he called us, and he said, I want you to pick up a package. And actually, our staff member, Kent Wells, said, I'm going to be late to a staff meeting um, because I need to pick up a package, and I don't like people to be late at staff meetings, and he knows that. <laughs> so he said, trust me, John, you're going to want me to be late to this meeting. I said, okay, okay. So he goes to the meeting, and he comes back with a $3 million check for the North property, and that's my announcement that I have to make today, the generosity of someone that says, I want this to happen. Now, all I'm doing is talking to you about how God works in ways of generosity, how he moves in one heart or more than one heart to bring about expanded ministry. And that's what's taking place. 
If you think generosity doesn't bless people, then you're not really listening. You're not really looking around at all the different ways generosity over the years has blessed people. But let me just say, it's not just about generosity. Every generous act, every time we give, every time we obey the Lord in doing what he's told us to do, the bigger picture is we reflect the heart and the love of a generous God who gave his own son for us. I read this last week, and I want to read it to you, something I found on a website called gotquestions.org. I was just doing a little research on generosity, and I think it was a great paragraph. God's generosity is everywhere around us. God created a planet called Earth that is perfectly made to sustain us and provide for our needs and pleasures. He supplied us with color, light, sound, and the ability to taste and enjoy and hear and appreciate and touch and be satisfied above all. God demonstrated his generosity when he offered his son as a sacrifice to alone die for our sins. In the face of such generosity, we can only say, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The gift of Jesus to sinful mankind was the ultimate act of generosity. And all we do as we act in obedience to God in areas of generosity is reflect that love of God. He's our provider, but he also is the one that loves us and sacrificed his own son for us. I want you to think about this when you give or when you listen to the Lord lead you to do something generous, whether it's help someone that lives next door to you, whether it's write a check for some ministry you're aware of, whatever it is. And again, this is not an appeal to you to do any one thing, but for you to rather think about generosity as reflecting the character of God in your daily life. God wants us to glorify him. And that's what reflecting his character really is. It's glorifying God, honoring him and his generosity in the way we live. So let me conclude today by asking you a series of questions. Are you trusting God with your life? Are you trusting him with your direction, with your purpose? Some of you in this room need to be asked, are you trusting him for your salvation? An incredible gift Jesus died on the cross to give you of eternal life and forgiveness of sin. Are you trusting him with your finances, with your future, with your joy? I can't remember one act that God has led me to do in the way of generosity that kept me from having joy I otherwise would have pursued with that many. No, I gave it as he led and got greater joy than that thing, whatever that is, could have brought me. Trust God with your life. Trust God with your eternity. Trust him with your giving. If I can trust God for all time and all eternity, I can trust him with a few dollars in my bank account. I can trust him to lead me in a way that will ultimately honor him. Now, that's what I'm asking you to do. That's what the New Testament church did. Learn the practice of generosity. And then watch as God moves in your life in ways that you didn't anticipate. And bless us, people, in a way you didn't know was possible. In just a moment, I'm going to close us in prayer. And there's a couple of invitations I want to give you today. First of all, always, always, uh, I want to ask you, if you want to talk about making a decision for Christ, I steer you towards these two decision stations at the exits of our door. We'll have people behind uh, those decision stations waiting to talk to you about a relationship with Christ. What does it mean to trust Christ for your salvation, to be forgiven of sin? What does that mean? We can have that conversation Secondly, I invite you to our guest reception uh, because 
There, I would love to meet you. Uh, if you're new here, I would love to meet you, talk to you. I have a book I'd love to give you. I'd love to answer any questions that you may have. Uh, next, I want to urge you, I want to invite you to invite others to come to what's happening next week. As you leave today, you'll see this Healthy Home Conference brochure. We'll be answering the question, what was I created to be? In other words, we'll be talking about identity all day long through our services and our special breakouts and our connection classes. Uh, identity is a really, really big deal today. It, there's even a politics identity thing that's happening today. There is gender identity. There is sexual identity, all these things. But let's get back to the original question. What did God create me to be? And we're going to answer that question throughout the day. This will show you a program of what's happening now, if you really want to get some really deep answers to those questions and how culture is asking them, we're going to have a, a Q&A and a panel on the stage at our 2 o'clock session. Uh, as you'll see the schedule, you'll see we're coming back after lunch for the 2 o'clock session with some great leaders in the kingdom that will be helping answer the questions and many questions that are happening in our culture today. Let me also say to you that how we share these truths will be loving and kind and yet as clear as Scripture, which is... What gives us the understanding of identity that we should have? So let's stand together for a closing word of prayer. And I invite you to all these things. Father, in Jesus' name, so, so very grateful today that you have called us together to worship. Father, I pray today that as we look at the pages of Scripture, the practice of the New Testament church, as we listen to the still small voice of your leadership, Lord, I pray that we might be bold enough to be generous people trusting you with all we have. Thank you, Father, for how you provide for us. Lord, we trust you today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.